Okay, that's fair enough. Well, we don't want that to happen. There's, there's enough death and destruction on in this week's podcast already. Thank you very much. It's Friday, February the 25th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Woke Goldfish Owner, and with me, as usual, is Paul Peters, Terrible Map Connoisseur and Master Student in Civil Engineering, and we're delighted to be joined by Dutch News Editor and just all-round news machine, Robin Pascoe. Robin, it's, uh, I can come to you first, because it, it's been one hell of a week. You, you must have worked a sort of a 365-hour week or something. Oh, at least, I reckon. It's been at a least non-stop it's, uh... cavalcade of news. Non-stop. Non-stop. I mean, it's been non-stop for two years, if you like, with coronavirus, which we're now, you know, at our two years since it started. And this week's just been extraordinary with, you know, storms and sieges and armed gunmen. And now, you know, now the terrible events have evolving in Ukraine. So it's sort of non-stop and, and the local elections. So, you know, um, that keeps going <laughs> yeah. as well. Almost yeah. forgot about the local elections. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I thought, I thought it was really you know bad form of Vladimir Putin to invade his, another country right in the middle of the Dutch municipal elections. Exactly, very yeah, unthoughtful of him. Over. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll see how it pans out. But I mean, you know, we're still we've just started uh, with our coverage for the elections, so uh, and it's taken a bit of a backseat, as you can imagine, for the last couple of days. But uh, yes, uh, we'll be has, there. Really. We'll be all back with it all soon. Uh, and Paul, uh, what's uh, what's going on with the maps? It's not the first time you've uh, been uh, around on Twitter highlighting awful maps, but what what's your beef this time? Uh, this time, um, my, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is the Twitter account Terrible Maps, uh, and it just yeah, it is a a it tweets a lot of um, um, map jokes, uh, uh, um, geog- geography jokes, and uh, this time um, it tweeted a uh, a, a, a picture of uh, a map of Europe if uh, European colonists had drawn the, 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 the borders. Yeah. So uh, all the, the European countries had these straight lines as borders. And I noticed that the Dutch um, colonial um, uh, uh, borderline um, had a very nice omission. I, I thought this, this is an improvement of, of the Netherlands because it completely uh, bypassed um, the province of Limburg. It completely <laughs> fell off the map. So I thought this is a very good uh, this is a, a very good improvement on 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 how the Netherlands uh, currently mm-hmm. looks like. So I was very enthusiastic about <laughs> this, and I would like to propose to uh, to uh, um, apply this border change so yeah. we can finally get rid of uh, this awful province. You'd like to go to the European Union and uh, formally apply to have uh, Limburg struck from the map of the Netherlands. Exactly. And uh, where well, would it go to then? Would it go to Belgium or Germany? Or? Uh, partly go to Belgium, partly go to uh, to right. Germany. We so, don't really um, care. We don't really care, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I and uh, someone um, pointed out that it would mean that uh, me, as someone from Brabant, would lose uh, a lot of um, uh, uh, allies uh, in the Friet Patat discussion. Yes, um, but my theory is that the aversion of uh, Patat sayers is mostly is actually because of uh, people in Limburg call it Friet. So if we lose them, then they can finally. Uh, you know, um, 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 uh, recognize uh, the correct way of, of calling uh, no. fries. I, I, I don't free. see people up in uh, the, the, the good, sensible people in Groningen and Drenthe um, joining Team Friet uh, anytime will. soon. 
They will. Yeah. As soon as we lost Limburg, they will. But I'm very fond of Limburg. I'd like to keep it, actually. Do you? Yeah. yeah we, have, we have open borders in the European Union, so you can visit it still, but we don't have to deal with all their um, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And who do, you, who do you think we should be colonized by in order to make this, uh, make this a reality? Um, maybe, p- perhaps we have a, a, a dictator in the East we can ask to, uh, <laughs> I, I to enforce this that, border maybe. change. Yeah. <laughs> no, you want a benign dictator. Maybe the Norwegians can come in. <laughs> on 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 you know on that new ferry that's coming from Del Sale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have a Viking invasion. That's a good idea. Um, and you, Gordon, you um, are a woke goldfish owner. I have no idea what this refers to. Please explain this. Now, the, the, the biggest news in my personal life uh, this uh, this week is that one of my goldfish has uh, has changed sex, which I just suddenly <laughs> I suddenly noticed on a Wednesday, and I know because people have asked how I know, but I know because they are green swordtail fish, and the males have a very long thin black tail and the females don't and suddenly i noticed that one of the i had i previously had just one long tail fish that was actually the father of all the others because yeah. i actually managed to um uh yeah breed them in a in a little uh, bowl in the kitchen during the lockdown it was one of my highlights i managed to breed some fish and then <laughs> one of the six daughters uh, suddenly had grown a tail I noticed this, um, yeah, at the start of this week. So now has become a male, and certainly I think. I looked this up. I checked. You know, can this happen? Can goldfish change sex? So I looked it up on Wikipedia, which obviously is uh, the first place to go to when you need to know Naturally, about fish yeah. husbandry. And um, yeah, it said, um, and I double checked it with a proper. You know, with good thing about Wikipedia is you can click through to the source to see if it's reliable, and it was. And it said yes, so these fish can change sex, and the the regular males, one of the born males, tend to be smaller. But this was actually a full sized. You know, th- th- this fish was the same size as all the other females. So I'm pretty sure that she has indeed changed from female to male. So, and I guess has also now um, uh, d- d- ch- changed her preferred pronouns as well. So. <laughs> and uh, changed probably her sexual habits. You may have an awful lot more uh, small fish. Gordon. I think there may well be, but uh, yeah, I have enough fish to be honest. But the the, the good news is that uh, the, the 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 tiny ones tend tend to get um, tend to get gobbled up uh, after they've been born. They're, they're carnivorous. The, the only reason that these ones survived is because I actually fished them out of the bowl, including one of them actually, I cleaned out my, I managed to fish about, I think, eight of these um, tiny goldfish out of a bowl, out of the tank rather, put them in a bowl in the kitchen, a sort of little, just a little glass um, vase, uh, and grew them in there. And then I was actually cleaning out the tank uh, one day, and I usually emptied the tank into the toilet, and I noticed something swimming about in the water in the toilet. <laughs> and sure enough, there was another baby fish in there. So I fished that one out of the toilet and rescued it. That could be the one that's changed sex, because really strange things happen to goldfish when you introduce other elements into their lives. Oh. I know it from experience here. We fed a whole bunch that my sons left home and left us with fish and we fed them with the mosquito larvae from the pond which Mm. they loved and then the next day they were all dead apart from one (laughs) and the one that survived gave birth and it gave birth to mutant fish and they all had wonky fins and and no no tail and they lived for three years it was unbelievable so beware yeah okay i'll keep an eye on that thanks for the warning that's something out of an episode of the simpsons some mutant (laughs) fish suddenly turning up in you Thanks. Okay. Uh, well, we should, we should from there. I think 
we should move swiftly on to the op of the week poll, which uh, I can't really link to that from Goldfish at all. But uh, anyway. Not at all, no. <laughs> on Monday, Prime Minister Mark Rutte was a guest on daily talk show Yinek. He was invited to talk about the start of the VVD campaign for the municipality elections on March 16th. Earlier that day, President Vladimir Putin announced Russia would recognize the independence of the separatist Ukrainian regions of Luhansk and Donetsk. And only a few moments before the talk show broadcasts, uh, Putin announced Russia would launch a peacekeeping mission into the two regions. Many people expect that the Prime Minister would be questioned about the escalating situation on the Russo-Ukrainian border by talk show host Eva Yinek, but much to their annoyance, they only briefly discussed the crisis. After a few minutes, the conversation switched to the upcoming elections, the new cabinet, Rutte's old Saab car, and his new LinkedIn page. Twitter literally exploded with tweets from people who didn't understand Rutte chose to chit-chat about his Nokia cell phone and golden medals while an enormous geopolitical crisis was unfolding. MP Peter Omzicht tweeted he had flashbacks to then-Defense Minister Anke Beileveld, who tweeted she was uh, watching a movie while Kabul was overrun by the Taliban. Eventually, Rutte did decide to leave the show. He said it was awkward to stay on and returned back to work, but many felt it was way too late. Yeah, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little embarrassing indeed to, uh, you know, see on the one hand uh, uh, tweets about, you know, the unraveling situation on the uh, Russo-Ukrainian border and then have the prime minister talk about his Nokia phone mm. um, instead of, you know, dealing with the crisis as you would expect from a statesman. It was a little bit awkward. Yeah, it was. But uh, I don't know, it's one of those situations, I guess, you, you, you're invited onto a talk show with a certain topic in mind. And at what point do you decide that events that are happening outside the studio are so pressing that you have to yeah you have to change tack and rip up the script and talk about them instead and uh, maybe at least he did leave the studio he didn't just carry on uh, yeah even though there. it was almost just at the end of the happened. show it was almost <laughs> at the end was it I, yeah I wasn't watching but yeah well yeah. also a bit so, ironic yeah. as he was on there talking about how Nailon is in half land and and and, and everything and then sort yeah. of sits there chatting away about trivialities I mean it, it's not the only example as we'll hear later in the podcast of uh, people just focusing on what's not important at the moment yes yeah exactly yeah um yeah it's uh yeah as you said he was just talking about uh, trivialities and it just uh, i mean uh, putin had already announced uh, you know the um uh, that he uh, would recognize the independence of these two regions uh, way in advance of the show and i think yeah they would have been it would have been better to just postpone it or yeah, just uh, or yeah, or, or just completely yeah, to, to change the whole content of the show because it's obviously yeah. quite yeah. Don't uh, have Rutte on. Just say sorry, yeah. you know. Don't I, come if you're not going to talk about it. Don't come. Mm. I mean, yeah, and, thing, and, and at the same time, um, two of these Olympic uh, gold medalists uh, were on, um, um, whose names I forgot about but we will talk about that later in the podcast as well um, and they were you know celebrated as well so as this whole celebratory uh, atmosphere in the studio there was this you know what we have the, the dwell bands this sort of um, 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 folklore band that always plays music at the uh, speed skating uh, races the, the, they were playing as well and it just seemed so strange to have the prime minister in that setting as this crisis was, you know, happening, it's um, it was pretty strange to yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. This week we focus on the Dutch government's response to the invasion of Ukraine. We ask if the pandemic really is over as the restrictions are dropped for the second time. We survey the damage from a week of storms and tell you about a juicy musical spin-off that turns sour for its maker. 
And I'll be looking back at the Dutch success at the Winter Olympics in Beijing, not with Mark Rutter, uh, and which does seem like an awful long time ago. Prime Minister Mark Rutte has condemned the Russian attack on Ukraine. President Vladimir Putin announced the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine on Thursday morning following months of military buildup at the border. Russia has launched dozens of missiles on major cities and on military infrastructure throughout the day. Rutte wrote in a statement that the Netherlands strongly condemns the Russian attack on Ukraine and that we are in close contact with the European Union, NATO and other allies. Foreign Minister Wopke Hoekstra said Russia's action is an act of war for which Russia will pay a heavy price. And King Willem-Alexander also released a statement saying that his heart goes out to the people of Ukraine and everyone affected by the violence. Before the invasion started, the Netherlands had pledged to send a team of cyber experts to Ukraine to help counter cyber attacks from Russia. And earlier this week, this was supplemented by additional military materiel, including 100 sniper rifles, 30,000 rounds of ammunition, 3,000 helmets, 2,000 bulletproof vests and several weapon and mine detection systems. On Thursday, the cabinet also decided to send two F-35 fighter jets to Eastern Europe following an emergency cabinet meeting. The Dutch military is also making special preparations in case it needs to come into action, but Rutte emphasized no more soldiers will be sent to the Baltic states or Poland for now. He added that the Netherlands calls for maximum sanctions against Russia, saying Moscow's actions threaten the security and stability of Europe. European leaders are meeting on Thursday evening to finalize their response and lists of actions against Russia. And that's uh, yeah, basically as we are recording this on, uh, on Thursday uh, evening, uh, they, the uh, European leaders are meeting. But um, I already heard reports that, uh, you know, there are already cracks coming into this sort of list of uh, sanctions because, um, yeah, several European countries have uh, special interests. Uh, for example, Belgium doesn't want uh, to affect the, the diamond industry. Uh, yeah. Italy doesn't want to, you know, uh, affect their uh, luxury uh, furniture industry. So, yeah, we already see a lot of cracks coming into this uh, sort of hard uh, set of sanctions that Rutte promised. But what about Ukrainians in the Netherlands? What have they been saying? Yeah, they, uh, many of them have gathered on, in the rain on Demsquare in Amsterdam, as well as outside the Russian embassy in The Hague, uh, to uh, show their solidarity with their friends and family back home. And also in front of the Tweede Kamer building in The Hague and in several other major cities, we saw spontaneous demonstrations against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It is a terrible day and I don't think any Ukrainian slept last night, one young Ukrainian woman said. At midnight we already knew something horrible was going to happen. And someone else said it is a tragedy not only for Ukraine, but for the whole of Europe and the whole of the world. Uh, it is tragic, uh, said another young man. I believe in the Ukrainian army and I hope for the support of Western countries. But what is happening right now isn't is an atrocity. Thousands of people are already on the move in Ukraine and European countries are making preparations to take refugees in. Rutte couldn't say on Thursday the Netherlands will bring in Ukrainian refugees, but D66 parliamentary leader Jan Paternotte called on the Netherlands to take the lead in giving sanctuary to Ukrainian refugees. Dutch refugee organization Stichting Vluchteling has opened an account where people can donate money to fund the refugee operation. This is the time to show solidarity, a spokesperson said. The humanitarian emergency that may emerge from this major military operation should not be underestimated. <coughs> yeah, and it, uh, I, I guess uh, yeah, there, there, there is a big question about whether or how quickly uh, the Netherlands will take in refugees, because at the moment I think Ukraine has, is marked as a safe country under the IND's criteria which uh, seems to have 
very rapidly become outdated. But at the moment, that means that uh, refugees from that country almost certainly will not be granted um, asylum. So um, you kind of think that uh, they're going to have to move quite quickly to uh, uh, to change that decision, given that you know the whole of Ukraine, including places like Kiev and Lviv, where the embassies been moved to, are, are coming under fire. Yeah, l- luckily for um, uh, for the Ukrainian refugees, uh, other countries are making preparations. Uh, Germany, uh, Poland, uh, some of the Baltic states, I believe. So yeah, they um, uh, uh, um, at least they are prepared for this uh, uh, possible refugee wave that we will be seeing in the coming uh, in the coming weeks. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, don't forget, we the Netherlands does have a a shared history with uh, with Ukraine and with this conflict because you know in 2014. Uh, the Netherlands became directly involved in the conflict between Ru- Russia and Ukraine when uh, yeah. flight MH17 was uh, was shut down and uh, almost uh, 300 uh, Dutch people were killed uh, in that conflict and um, what wh- what I notice is or at least in my when I speak to people and when I s- what I what I hear them saying is that uh, um, uh, we are the Netherlands is very sympathetic with with Ukrainians and based on that um, uh, I hear a lot of people that are very uh, open in in accepting uh, refugees from from Ukraine, um, and uh, a lot of people really want to help. So yeah, um, I, I think um, in the near future we will see more help coming from the Netherlands. I think. Yeah, We've actually yeah. uh, got an interview which were uh, on Dutch news with a young. Ukrainian who actually is a trainee journalist here used to be and runs a podcast and he was just going back to Kiev to pick up some important documents today he was on a train on Thursday when it all happened Mm. and so he sent us a kind of day by hour by hour account of what he was seeing and witnessing which is is fascinating and horrible reading and you wonder when is he going to get back to Groningen where his family his wife and his children are no it is so many people have just suddenly really yeah being displaced or you know being hit with this terrible drastic change in the circumstances i was interested to see that dutch are sending cyber security experts um because because uh, the netherlands has quite got quite some uh, quite uh, a good cybersecurity experts, partly because um, you know we, we, there's also quite a lot of uh, hackers based in the Netherlands. Because we discovered this week that one of the hubs for the cyber attacks on Ukrainian banks last week was uh, was based in uh, Vorma, which is a very small oh, wow. one min- windmill town up uh, just north of Amsterdam. Oh wow! Yeah. Was it a Russian attack or? Well, it was Sorry. an attack on the um, Ukrainian banks, so you can only assume that it yeah. was coordinated from Russia. And obviously, what they do is they have these distributed denial of service attacks, where just lots and lots of computers all request access to a website at the same time and over overload mm. it and uh, and basically stop it operating. Um, so, I think and uh, the the, the, the um, uh, Dutch police uh, discovered this and um, alerted the the guy who owns the website. He'd leased it. He he runs a a web server uh. um, and he. He, he he leased it to a company it turned out to be using it for um uh, yeah to, to launch cyber attacks against ukraine yeah and um the irony here as well is that uh, the netherlands has uh, become such an expert in uh, counter cyber terrorism because of russian activities uh, directed to the netherlands and to international organizations based in the hague um yeah it's also a uh, a direct result of uh, this conflict that uh, the Netherlands has become such an expert uh, in this field. Um, yes, of course, because the um, the OPCW, the Organisation for Protection of 
sorry, the organization for the um, uh, prevention of chemical weapons uh, th th that was targeted. Was it last year or year before? When um, uh, I think even uh, longer uh, than that. Was it, was it three years ago, maybe? When two yeah. Russians parked a car outside the Marriott Hall Hotel, which backs onto it, and had some kind of, um, you know, mo monitoring equipment in the boot and tried to use it to hack into the system, and they were they were detected, and the the the, um, the police actually went into the hotel and intercepted the Russians in the lift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Amateur hour, amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also uh, been uh, news on the sporting front, Paul, as well, hasn't there? Um, in the context of yeah, sanctions as, against as, Russia. Uh, yeah, the, the Dutch national basketball team has decided to come into action uh, Yeah, today. We're recording now on, on Thursday uh, to play against Russia in Perm, despite the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The team uh, yeah, was already in the Siberian city when uh, Ukraine uh, was invaded by Russia. But the manager said it's very quiet over there in the city. Uh, he admitted that the players and staff feel it's kind of awkward to play under the circumstances, but they had nonetheless decided to not to cancel the game. And meanwhile, um, German football team Schalke 04 has decided to remove the logo of Russian state-owned gas company Gazprom from its jerseys. Uh, and also UEFA has decided to scrap St. Petersburg from uh, its list of host cities. So, yeah, you see a lot of... Even when even the UEFA is making the right decision, then, uh, yeah, you have to uh, really scrap your head and uh, look yeah. at what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the Champions League final was due to be played in St. Petersburg this year. And the stadium in St. Petersburg is called the Gazprom Stadium. So mm -hmm. yeah. it was kind of uh, yeah inevitable, I think, that they were going to have to yeah, uh, abolish that as a venue. But yeah, as for the basketball team, appalling. Absolutely appalling. Yes. I cannot believe yeah. that they just went ahead and played. No. Yeah. No. Me neither. Yeah. So I hope they lost. <laughs> what, to Russia? Yeah. No, maybe not. Maybe not. There's no excuse for it. I mean, if you read the statement from the from the association, it's sort of going up. It's safe here. There are no tanks in the streets. <laughs> We're all fine. Point, We're a it? long way away from the fighting. It's like you're sending out such a bad message, guys. And they don't seem to have got <laughs> that into their heads. You know, it's no. uh, they'll be a lot closer to the fighting when they're back in the Netherlands. I mean, Siberia, <laughs> yeah. six time zones away from, you know, from the Ukrainian border. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. There you go, absolutely. Well, they're leaving, you know, they leave on Friday, so we'll see what happens. Well, it'll be interesting to see what route they take, uh, given that Ukrainian airspace is closed now. Uh, I think they're going to need to take the train to Vladivostok and then have a boat to the United <laughs> States or get, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, get a boat to South Korea. Good luck to them. It seems a bit inappropriate to talk about Freedom Day, but in case you've been distracted by the war in Ukraine, February the 25th is the day when the Netherlands drops almost all its pandemic restrictions, and I've noticed that the NOS have uh, stopped running their daily live blog on coronavirus for the first time <laughs> pretty much since the pandemic starts as well. So yeah, I think that means yeah. officially it's over. Yeah, we just we just already moved on. We moved from one crisis to another, right? We completely forgot exactly. about the last Seamlessly. one. Seamlessly. Yeah. Literally on the same day. It was, it was brilliant uh, scheduling in that respect. From this weekend, bars, restaurants and nightclubs will be able to open until the normal closing time, although there's probably pre protesters out now demanding they stay open until 6 in the morning. Uh, face masks will only be required on public transport and aeroplanes, and the social distancing rule will no longer apply. And you'll no longer be expected to work from home half the week, and the isolation period for people who do test positive is being cut to five days, provided you've been free of symptoms for 24 hours. Health Minister Ernst Kaupers is supposed to be coming up with a long-term plan for how to tackle the disease in the autumn. 
That includes training more intensive care staff and keeping the vaccine pass, which is also disappearing, at least domestically, as a reserve measure. Mariana Koltmans of the outbreak management team told Bauterhoff at the weekend that the moves went further than the OMT's advice, but we are moving into the next stage of the pandemic, she said. Vulnerable people in particular are concerned because infection levels are still pretty high and it's now basically the responsibility kind of falls on their shoulders to protect themselves and make sure that people around them actually carry on doing things like self-testing to keep them free of infection. So, yeah, not Freedom Day for everybody. No. And what about the infections then? I mean, are people still testing? People are still testing, but uh, it's dwindling, definitely. Um, so the, the, the positive tests are going down by about 35% a week, but so too are the number of tests being taken, which kind of makes it hard to know whether you know the, the decline is actually a decline in infection numbers or a decline in, uh, you know, just, or just people just not, not bothering to ring the GGD anymore when they've got symptoms. Um, fewer people, yeah, I mean, the positive test rate is still 58%, so, you know, still a lot of people in the queue i guess uh, um yeah probably infecting people in the queue who, who who didn't have the virus uh we also see but we are seeing fewer patients being taken to hospital that number went down by 12 percent in the last week but there's still like more than 1500 coronavirus patients in hospital and 116 intensive care so yeah the pressure is still quite high um and about 80 percent of those really are sick with coronavirus because there's this whole discussion about are they just in for treatment to a broken leg and they happen to test positive but of course even those people still have to isolate so mm. that still yeah. puts strain on healthcare. so omicron isn't mild for everyone and uh, yeah the virus is disappearing from people's minds but um, it's not entirely disappearing altogether it's bizarre i mean i don't know anybody recently who has tested positive who has gone on to go and have a pcr test nobody seems yeah. to because you can't make an appointment or you have to get there and it's oh, I, I experienced the complete opposite, okay, actually. Good to know. Everyone, everyone I know who, you know, did a self-test, which came out positive, went to uh, went to their GGD and uh, have an official test there, which also turned out positive in every in every case. So, uh, but yeah, that at least that one is registered, of course. Um, so mm. yeah, I have, uh, uh, I experienced the complete opposite. What I do notice is that virtually everyone who is positive now, um, doesn't show any serious symptoms or uh, uh, you know get really sick or whatever they just have yeah. a very slight cold and that's basically it um, fortunately yeah. yes um, definitely yeah, yeah. but yeah but that kind I, of feels I, like in the, yeah but before you had I mean, the positive test rate was much lower it was about sort of 10 15 percent so, so it tend to be if you had a sort of slight cold you probably didn't have the virus whereas now actually you probably do but yeah the number of people actually getting seriously ill it hasn't gone up by as much or is you know so gradually declining it's declining very slowly and i still sort of think that you know we're not quite out of the winter yet and opening everything up right now is is, is a risky move and it went wrong last time when they opened up the clubs exactly, didn't that's it the thing. yeah exactly we, we, we opened up in september and then by the end of november we had to go into lockdown again so yeah we'll have to see um and there was also some news about a second round of booster vaccines, right? Yeah, because booster vaccines, they're also a big part of the long-term strategy, um, uh, trying to get booster vaccine in early, 
which is not what we did with the first three rounds of vaccines. We were the last country to vaccinate. Uh, but now they want to have early boosters to prevent the vaccine taking hold, uh, especially in the more vulnerable groups. So from next week, a second booster dose will be available to everyone over 70, also people living in care homes and anyone with Down syndrome or a severely compromised immune system. But what about all the poor folk with, who took Janssen with the one dose one who've had a booster but don't count as being properly vaccinated for some countries? Yeah, I, I, don't think they've, I don't think they've ruled on that. But I think I know Kaupas had said he wanted to get that fixed so that they could have, yeah, like you say, the, the people who've had Janssen can have a second shot and then a booster. Yeah, some people have had Janssen young, plus a young booster, but that doesn't count skiing, or Germany. to go off skiing, I think. So yeah. if I get drafted um, <laughs> to fight in the Ukraine, uh, I'm not allowed to enter Germany um, yeah. because of my Janssen vaccine. Does ah. that mean I'm exempted from uh, <laughs> having to fight for uh, for NATO uh, against Russia? <laughs> I, I knew Hugo's uh, Janssen strategy was going to complicate things in uh, Ukraine somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind. Of the sudden, I like <laughs> Hugo de Jonge very much. Yeah. No floral boots on the ground. Yeah, boost on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I do wonder because you were saying, Paul, that uh, you, that, you, that uh, most people you know uh, are going for a um, PCR test, but I guess that's partly because they want it for their um, vaccine passport, right? But if the vaccine passport is no longer in use in the Netherlands, I wonder if that's going to have an impact on the number of people who turn up for tests. And yeah. if you've been vaccinated well. twice and had a booster, you don't need to have show that you've had coronavirus either. So there's an exactly. added reason not to waste your time and go down there I suppose yeah I don't know I keep testing you know I mean I've got a box of them I buy them I test them and and you right. know negative 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 so uh, touch wood it continues that way very good you need yeah. to go out more Robin meet some more people I can't go I'm chained to the news desk <laughs> <laughs> that bloody news well it didn't stop did it I mean you know Tuesday normally a press conference this week, no press conference. Instead, we have a, you know, armed siege, basically, uh, on the lights plane, which is not very far from where I live. And, and I was alerted by the police cars, unbelievable number, zooming around. And I thought, ah, something is something up. Is happening. And uh, up yeah. it was indeed. So police are continuing their investigation into the hostage situation at the Apple store on the lights plane, in which a gunman burst into the shop, took a customer hostage and demanded... 200 million euros in cryptocurrency. When I heard that, I knew immediately this is an asshole. Only assholes are interested in <laughs> cryptocurrencies. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, well, I can excuse the hostage taking, but I draw the line at cryptocurrency. Uh, in particular, police want to know what motivated the man because he had a criminal record for firearms offences. And But what made him take a hostage, demand the crypto, and, as he said to the police, threaten to blow himself up if he didn't get it? The situation ended after almost five hours when the gunman asked for water and it was delivered to him by a robot. His hostage took the opportunity to flee and ran off while the gunman gave chase and then a police car drove at him at high speed. He flew onto the bonnet, then onto the ground. He was scanned by a robot to see if he had explosives on him and taken to hospital. And then on Wednesday, his... Uh, a lawyer uh, who's represented him in court but said on behalf of his mother that he'd actually died of his in injuries. The, the robot that scanned him said he had explosives on him but they weren't primed to go off. So I don't know if that was... They don't, uh, they don't know actually what he had on them. There's all sorts of stories going around uh, whether they mm. were actually live, whether they would have gone off if they had been primed. 
This is just one of the very many unanswered questions about him. I mean, the police of the parole newspaper has named him as Abdel Rahman uh, Akkad, but there must have been so many people who knew who he was because he was so easily identifiable in the photographs, which were everywhere yeah. at the time. According to RTL News, he worked as a delivery man for Ahold, uh, for Albert Heijn supermarkets. And if you notice in the pictures, and I didn't at the time, but now if you look at them again, nearly every photograph, there's an Albert Hein van just sort of sitting mm. there in the middle of the road. Mm. Um, and he's said to live in Amsterdam West, but spends a lot of time in the centre. Police have searched those two houses. But uh, there's chatter on social media I've seen about him being interested in conspiracy theories, but there's nothing concrete or nothing sort of that you can get your put your finger on about what on earth possessed him to do this yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, social media also had a big role in the case didn't it yes it, it did in fact uh, Akkad actually contacted the police immediately after he went into the building apparently nobody knew this at the time because they kept it all very quiet um, so they were involved very early on and the police had also now has transpired is they actually contacted broadcasters and bloggers and people who are live streaming what was happening and asked them to stop doing it. Um, and everybody did, of course. And the video, for example, of Akkad chasing his hostage out into the street, you know, went around the world, uh, taken by a, a young woman in a, in a nearby apartment block. But I don't think anybody really knew at the time quite how many people were in the building. And I think this is one of the things police were keen to keep quiet and they say there are about 70 people there not only in the upper levels of the store because it went it goes over more than one level but there's a law firm at the top of the building as well and there were people working in there so some of them were taken out by police some of them stayed there the whole time and four people were holed up in a cupboard on the ground floor where the whole oh. situation unfolded yeah. for five hours so they must be in you know a, a total total uh, state by the time it was all over I mean you know it was a strange thing because there was so much that you could still follow that was happening on social media, but but officially we knew incredibly little, just the odd tweet that the police were putting out as the evening progressed. Yeah, so it's an alarming experience, obviously, for all those people in the building, and um, yeah, thankfully all of them, you know, escaped with nothing more than just a severe, the severe shock of being caught up. But of course, uh, you know, the, the 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 guy himself ended up after it seemed the police had handled it quite well by getting a robot to give him a glass of water, um, and that distracted him so the hostage could run off without being hurt. Uh, but then, the, 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 of course, the sting in the tail is that uh, he got knocked down by the police car, which seems excessive, even. In, in, in the context of what was happening. I don't know. They were trying to stop him, though, weren't they? I mean, you know, he was chasing. Yeah. He wasn't that far behind his hostage, and he did have a gun. That's true, so, he had a gun, um, yes. I, I suppose you just yeah. sort of react on instinct. It'll all come yeah. out. I mean, it's all being looked at, exactly what happened and who said what. And as we know so far, there's an awful lot, you know, that was happening behind the scenes, which we're just not aware of what was being said. Yeah, and the hostage situation uh, came to a dramatic end because of the hostage uh, fleeing uh, the, 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 the scene. What do we actually know about him? Well, we don't know very much. It was first they said that he was a British national, 44, and the British press were immediately trying to find him. The Daily Mail had, you know, do you know this man? You know, we want to talk to him. And later they backtracked the police and said it was uh, a Bulgarian. And we don't know whether mm. he lives in Amsterdam, whether he was a tourist, or what he was doing here. He's gone very, very quiet, understandably, I think you can imagine. But the papers will be queuing up to talk to him. And the councils actually organised counselling sessions for everybody who was 
in the building if they want to go and talk to somebody. But, you know, I, I'm sure we'll find out more about him, you know, if he wants to tell his story, but he might not. I mean, they, his face was blocked out by everybody, so it'd be very difficult, you know, to find out who he was. Well, we'll keep everyone updated on exactly what happens in that uh, slightly mysterious saga, but uh, there's obviously a lot more information to come out, as you say. It's an anxious and confusing time and the sheer volume of information sometimes seems overwhelming. Yes, local elections are just around the corner in the Netherlands and there is a plethora of parties to vote for. At Dutch News we're focusing on the towns and cities where our readers and listeners live and over the next few weeks we'll be updating you on the progress of the campaign on this podcast. And of course we couldn't do any of that without the support of our very generous and lovely patrons. So as usual we'd just like to take a moment right now to say thank you to all the patrons who continue to fund our efforts because we really couldn't do it without you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All new patrons get a shout out on the podcast and uh, you can fire your questions at us about Dutch life, sport, culture, politics or the latest online storm in a teacup otherwise known as the Ophef of the week slot. This week, uh, we welcome one new patron, and I have to say, I absolutely love this guy's question. Um, I think we Do you? Get to, yeah. Uh, I wonder away. why. <laughs> it's uh, Tyler from New Zealand, and he says, uh, Hi team, love your work. I've been, freelo- I've been freeloading for the past two years and thought it was time to become a sponsor. I live in Amsterdam, and in an effort to better integrate, I'm on a mission to visit every Dutch province, and uh, I've visited them all, but fallen short with Drenthe. So his question is, is there anything interesting to do in Drenthe to justify the train journey besides what he, and these are his words, the bloody Hunebed? <laughs> um, I'm just going to say that there's probably a reason why Drenthe is the last <laughs> province on your list. And it's probably, a, it, t- it tells I you mean, everything you need to know. Even behind Flevoland, come on. So. <laughs> even Flevoland has, has better things to do than uh, than, uh, than Drenthe. Now, um, I was thinking very hard about this, and I have to admit that I also haven't visited Drenthe that much, so I actually don't know if there's anything interesting to do. Uh, I also looked up the um, uh, the TripAdvisor list for Drenthe, and the sixth, <laughs> the, the number six on the list was uh, visit the municipality archive of Asse, <laughs> which right. has also says a lot about how interesting Drenthe is, I think, if that is the number six uh, best, uh, m- most fun thing to do in your province um mm-hmm. but so i'm not of very much use on this question but i think robin has uh, some suggestions don't you well i'm actually paul you know you want rid of you want rid of limburg you don't like drenthe <laughs> are you a dutchman i'm slightly worried now it's very concerning oh drenthe is wonderful i love drenthe you can have fantastic walks there and there's more than one hunabed there's an awful lot of hunabed yeah. and I'm you see them everywhere yeah. Yeah. so uh, but I think the museum and the city archive that you were just being so rude about, Paul, is part of the museum. And it's it's the museum mm. in Assen and it's fantastic because it all goes underground. So you look up at the top, you see sort of four separate buildings and underneath it's this maze of tunnels that take you to all the places. And you actually see really nice exhibitions there because it's the big museum in the region. So all the big sort of travelling um exhibitions end up there and it's a very nice uh, exhibition space and it's fascinating it has a good cafe so i go for Assen. Um, which, I think which museum is this sorry which which museum is this the the, the museum in Assen. yeah the, the, it's, is it's it? called the drenz museum yeah the drenz oh, museum okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and uh, it's uh, it's super it's a really nice museum it's quite a pretty little town there's if you go down to the harbour there are some really nice cafes and restaurants that you can sit out and watch the sun go down. I'm I'm all for it. I think it's great. Yeah, but then I, mean, I like I, every I, province, <laughs> apart from Brabant. 
Thousand Radons, yeah, too right. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, he does mention he's going by train, which does limit your options a bit because the train connections in uh, Drenta aren't that great. You can get to Assen on the train, on the high-speed line, um, and also to uh, Hochefein, uh, Meppel doesn't have an awful lot to offer but Bailen there's nothing in Bailen don't bother getting out of Bailen you can save yourself a, uh, <laughs> a trip there but yeah Assen as Robin says rightly has got a few things to recommend it um, further afield I wouldn't recommend trying to get to Emmen by train either because it's a, just a very slow local line that you have to change train to swallow um, but Emmen has the and also Emmen has the zoo but I think the zoo um, actually that they moved the zoo to an out of town site and it's become a bit of a white elephant if you'll excuse the pun um, it's uh, that they made the zoo site so big that the animals actually are able to hide quite easily from the visitors so you mm. go to a zoo it's quite expensive and you might not see very many animals um, but it's quite a nice uh, site. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I mean, Drenthe is uh, just uh, really good for the uh, for the countryside. There's a nice uh, stretch of river. Um, I can do one called the Sticks Effect. Um, so that's very nice. There's a really nice some wetlands nature reserve just over by the German border that often has quite kind of. Um, uh, nice um, uh, art exhibitions or art trails uh, going on. They've done they've done really good work with that. Are you working um, for the tourist board, Gordon? Yeah, no, it's like uh, Drenthe. Yeah, and also just kind of bizarre things in Drenthe, like the Fanberg, which is on my bucket yeah. list. I haven't been to the Fanberg yet, but the Fanberg is this literally it's a pile of rubbish because it's literally, an artificial yeah. mountain made out of waste. That I mean, in the middle of this flat mud flat basically which is what the north of the Netherlands is you have the, the it's absolutely flat as a pancake landscape suddenly you just see this sort of mound and it's a completely artificial hill <laughs> made of um, m- 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 made of old household waste on a warm day you can still smell it so uh, don't go <laughs> but it's but it's very popular with cyclists because it's literally the only place for miles around yeah. either in the Netherlands or across the border in Germany that has any undulation whatsoever they call so it the Col de Vanberg right <laughs> yes they do the Col de Vanberg yeah yeah. yeah. So um, go by train to Assen, visit the museum, hire a bike, and just cycle around the, the countryside and yeah. enjoy the. Uh, because when the, you get to the, the top of the, the Fanberg, nice you will just see for miles around because everything else oh, is right. like a safe pancake. Yeah. You can see the entire uh, province of Drenthe. Yeah. And Kronia, probably. Yeah. Hope we've helped you with some tips there, Tyler. And uh, yeah, get in touch with us if you do make it out to the, the, the wilds of Drenthe. Of course, Drenthe is also big Van Gogh country. Um, yeah, we, because we need to move on. We need to move on. <laughs> yeah, but there are some Van Gogh trails as well because he visited Drenthe and painted places there as well. So nice. Uh, but yeah, if you get back to us if um, uh, yeah, if, if you do get out there and uh, let us know how how you found it. If you'd like to be like Tyler and sponsor the Dutch News Podcast and enrich your knowledge of life in the Netherlands and uh, visit better provinces in Brabant for as little as one euro or a dollar a day, log on to www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Dutch News NL. Van Gogh was born in Brabant, so uh, <laughs> stop sealing him yeah, from, uh, but he, from but, us. But he thought better of it, didn't he? He, 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 right. he quickly got away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the Netherlands has been battered by a series of storms this week. It started with Dudley last Thursday, which brought down trees and disrupted roads and left a police officer in hospital when he was hit by a falling roof. But that was just a warm-up for Eunice, which blew in on Friday and caused massive disruption with winds of around 145 kilometres an hour, or gale force 11. 
Schiphol Airport cancelled around 200 flights and the train operator NS stopped all trains at 2pm. Paul, you were trying to get somewhere by train, weren't you? Did you you make it? I did make it. My train was scheduled to arrive at exactly 2pm on my destination. I actually took a uh, train earlier because I just expected that uh, there was going to be a lot of disruptions and also very busy on that very last train. So I I, I just took one uh, an hour earlier. And I arrived in in Rosendaal, which is the um, the hub also. It's it has the line that goes to Zeeland uh, as well. But uh, I noticed that a lot of people, hundreds of people stranded at Rosendale Station, people who needed to go to Zeeland. And the NES just stopped running trains uh, from 1 p.m. to Zeeland. So, yeah, a lot of uh, people who had to find their way home in a different way. Yeah, so massive disruption. And uh, police also put out a nationwide LN alert at 5 o'clock telling everybody to stay indoors. And also saying that the uh, emergency number was uh, overburdened. So uh, yeah. Yeah, with the um, request basically not to call at all. And this time they didn't include the uh, Telegraph tip line as a uh, alternative. Well, that's an improvement on their yeah, previous exactly. occasions. Yeah. Uh, and three people died in Amsterdam, of course, when they were hit by falling trees, as did a car driver in Groningen who crashed into a tree that was lying in the road. And in The Hague, part of the roof of Adderden House Stadium was blown off and homes were evacuated from around a church that was wobbling alarmingly. Yeah. You may have seen the pictures on social media of this church tower just kind of, yeah, sort of looking a bit drunk. It but was very scary it, looking, uh, I must say. I wouldn't have wanted to live next to that. They sent some uh, structural engineers in. They said it was fine. Didn't look fine. <laughs> and on Monday, Storm Franklin brought floods to Rotterdam, damaged a supermarket in Maastricht, and in Kronia, 87 crows were killed when the tree they were nestling in came down. So... That's unfortunate. Yes, unfortunate yeah. you're a crow, certainly. It was a very bizarre story, actually, because they were just lying there squashed under the tree, and you'd think, wouldn't they fly off? I suppose they were asleep. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Heavy sleepers. Crows are heavy sleepers, apparently. Do you know what you call a, a group of crows, Paul? Uh, isn't it like a murder or something? Yeah, it's a, a murder, murder. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a murder yeah. of crows. It really was. This was a massacre of crows. This Massacre yeah. of crows, yeah. Yeah. The Dutch Insurers Association for Bond van Verzekeraars said the bill so far for repairs was 500 million, but the final total is certain to be much higher because claims are still coming in. And I believe that's a record claim for storm yeah. damage. In the yeah, end. it was. Yeah. 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 Now, extraordinary, three storms in five days. It's very odd, though. In my office, I can't see them. I can't see there's a storm because there's no tree outside. It's just buildings. So you're very cut off. So I actually went out and had a walk just to kind of get a feeling from... <laughs> what it was like in Amsterdam and you know the garbage was blowing everywhere as usual of course but uh, uh, extraordinary to have so many days of wind um, and to see so many trees in Amsterdam that had come down actually it was uh, it was amazing. You didn't go to Aymouda this time? No not after last time thank you very much that was a bit scary. You went in for extreme outweigh. <laughs> yeah, extreme outweigh. Yeah. You should have written an article about it for an American news- <laughs> newspaper. Shoot, outweighing in Aymouda. I had to hold on to the bridge, actually. It was, uh, it was pretty <laughs> scary. The widow of John Lennon is suing two Dutch entrepreneurs for using the name John Lemon for a Geneva-based cocktail drink they have devised. Sebastian Kolstey and Ruben Wolfenkamp, the founders of Kever Geneva, said they have received uh, a summons to stop selling the drink from a law firm representing Ono's Imagine Peace Revocable Trust. 
All cans already sold to bars and restaurants have to be recalled. Colstay told the Telegraph, and we were told uh, we'll have to pay 500 euros a day if we don't. It's not the first time Yoko Ono has successfully banned drinks producers from using the name. In 2017, a Polish producer was forced to drop the name after Ono threatened legal action. But they used Lern's characteristic glasses in their logo, and we don't. We mean the name to refer to the John Collins cocktail, which has a similar composition, Colstay claimed. Yeah. Do we believe this, no. given that the name of their company, Cafe Geneva, means beetle gin? So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I haven't even <laughs> thought about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I don't know John Collins. No, John Collins. That's, uh, isn't that an actress? No, that's Joan. Joan Collins, yeah. And she's still going strong. She's just had a birthday. She's like 87, no, 80 or something. Mm. But no, no, I mean, I don't believe this for a word, for, for, for a second. <laughs> it's extraordinary. And they're crowdfunding now yeah, to try and earn money um, to pay for yeah. the recall, which they say is going to cost 25,000 euros or something. Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, the a lawyer who represented Ono in a Polish case, uh, Joris van Mana, also uh, doesn't believe a word of this, but he uh, he said that Ono does not want to get out all her the legal guns against young entrepreneurs. He just said this is standard procedure. Every time someone thinks John Lennon would be a good name to sell uh, a product, we send a letter. Yoko simply doesn't want John's name to be commercialized, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh uh, out loud when I read this, but okay. And as uh, Robin already said, has now launched a crowdfunding campaign to pay for the legal costs they have incurred, as well as the product recall and the rebranding. Any suggestions yeah. for a new name for them? Possibly? Joan Collins, then. Oh. Joan Collins, yeah. They can get sued all over again and launch another crowdfunding campaign. Good way to get rich. Yeah, well, cr- crowdfunding campaigns seem to be a very lucrative business model in recent uh, months. So, yeah, maybe this is... Uh, crowdfunding for legal legal expenses. It's exactly. kind of a, yeah, straight out of the Villa Mengel playbook, isn't it? Exactly. Like a, yeah, a good earner for somebody, lawyers mainly. It would be extremely meta if, if they would uh, use uh, uh, Willem Engel's name uh, as some sort <laughs> of product name and then... Uh, get sued by him and then have a crowdfunding campaign. Maybe they could both have crowdfunding campaigns. Like for exactly. Crowdfundings. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe they yeah. should team up. Who can get idiots to part with their money fastest? <laughs> exactly. I wonder who will win the medal for that. Yeah. Who will win the medal, Paul? The Winter Olympics are over, actually. Finally. Uh, the Dutch squad's back in the Netherlands. They finished sixth in the medal table. That might actually sound pretty good for a small country, but in fact, the Netherlands did better in both the 2014 and the 2018 games when they ended uh, in fifth place in the medal table. So they've actually dropped one, but not as far as pundits were saying. They were predicting they'd end up in eighth. So in total, the Dutch picked up 17 medals this time, eight gold, five silver and four bronze. And that is also well down on the best ever Dutch performance, which was in Sochi when the team brought back 24 medals. When uh, King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima famously had a uh, Heineken beer with uh, Vladimir Putin, a very awkward photo which I saw re-emerging on uh, on uh, Twitter. A, in a the photo is getting more awkward by well. the day, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who were the Dutch stars of the Olympic Games uh, this time? Well, I guess you'd say distance skater Irene Schouten because she won three gold and one bronze and she had the best results. Uh, The short tracker Suzanne Schulting also took home four medals, including two gold. And in a way, you could say that Schulting's performance was better because a few years ago, the Dutch had no track record in short track. Um, 
at all. In fact, it's been a deliberate strategy to try and train up and, and, and get get up to world-class standards. And with Suzanne Schulting, they seem to have done that. Um, the difference, by the way, in case you wonder, between short track and long track is 289 metres. The short Ooh. track rink is 111 metres long and the distance rink is 400 and of course, you know, if we're talking about stars, I don't think we should forget Kimberly Boss, who won the surprise bronze in the skeleton. That really terrifying one-man bob, <laughs> where they go so zooming down at unbelievable speeds. Yeah. And it's head only... first as well, because there's the other one where they go down feet first, but this is the head first This one. is the head first version. <laughs> I can't think of anything more terrifying. And, and you watch it, you can't see how you could steer or have any control over what you're doing as you shoot down this ice ramp. Yeah, there's one thing more terrifying I can imagine, and that is uh, standing in line in uh, at the jumbo supermarket and see uh, Glennis Grace arriving <laughs> with her, with six uh, six men to ask some questions. <laughs> well, I don't think I'd be scared of them particularly, but uh, I'm more scared of this or, 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 or ski jumping. Uh, you know, that's that that's kind of really scary too. You're but, just scared of heights and 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 uh, velocities. Ah. Well, the thing about Boss is that, of course, her medal, it's only the second time the Dutch have won a medal that didn't involve yeah. you skating. Mm. And the first time was uh, the snowboarder Nicoline Saubre who won gold in 2010. So you have to go back quite a long way. So it was it was a kind of a, a nice move and a nice win just because it wasn't skating, you know. And if you're not that yeah. interested in skating, you know, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just interesting. Just a side note on the um, uh, the, the the short track speed skating. So you said that the Dutch didn't really have a tradition of this, and they've suddenly come up with a couple of um, Susanna Skulting and uh, also, of course, the luckless uh, Shinky Knecht. Yeah, but he didn't win anything. I mean, you know, the men didn't win anything. And, and he that is a was... world class speed skater. He just didn't win any medals this time. So he kept, no. keeps getting disqualified. Yeah. The big events, but it's kind of yeah. But at the long track, you see that the short track used to be dominated by the Asian countries, by especially South Korea, um, and the Dutch have now kind of moved in and become uh, and, and competing with them. And then on the long track, uh, you know, the Dutch used to dominate all the events, but now the shortest events, the sprints, are now dominated by China, South Korea, and Japan. I think in the 500 meters, um, the first Dutch man home was was finished ninth, which would be unthinkable a couple of Olympics ago. Well, it was it was the, the women who won twelve of the Dutch medals. Actually, they won, um, yeah. and and the men's short track team didn't take any home. And you know, despite as you say, you know, I mean, the Dutch did well in the distance skating. They took twelve of the forty-two medals, which were up for grabs. But unlike in previous years, there were no clean sweeps. You know, of the of the of the podium. You know, there weren't one, two, three for the Dutch, which there has been in previous years. So. Um, what you say is absolutely true. I mean, Canada won five medals this time. They're, they're, they're catching up. Sweden, Japan, yeah. as you say, also in South Korea, also doing well. And I think the one thing that we shouldn't forget about these Olympics is that it was the end of an era with two of the greats who have really made the game, made the sport and made it so popular in the Netherlands, you know, retiring. Sven Kramer and Irene Wuster leaving after five Olympics, both competing in their fifth Olympics. Sven didn't win, you know, uh, he yeah. had hoped, yeah. hoped to do so, but, you know, he has had back trouble for years. So mm. I think in a way he was sort of like his swan song and he bowed out gracefully and he wasn't grumpy when he lost, which he has been in yeah. the past. But, you know, Although there, there, there was kind of outrage they didn't win the team pursuit event. They, they, yeah, well, that was a mess. A I mean, there. that was just yeah. a mess. And that, that just, yeah. there's also, there's a bit of a kind of, you know, 
we're great kind of thing you have to be careful as you say you know other other countries are coming up but you know my perhaps my favorite and you asked me Paul what was the maybe we have to just say Irene Wust because she won a gold medal in her fifth Olympics you know yeah. it's extraordinary yeah. extraordinary she's the most the first, uh, you know, Dutch Winter Olympian to win gold in five different games. You know, she's competed since she was a young teenager. Yeah. You know, hats off to her. What a woman. Yeah, her first gold medal at 19, her last when she was 35. That's, a, that's an amazing career, really. We should give an honourable mention to the snowboarders as well, because they managed to finish sixth in their final. They, they only scraped into the final, the two snowboarders. Nick van der Felden, yeah. Nick van der Felden and uh, Melissa Paperkamp. And she's only 17, so they've both finished sixth yep. in their, their big air final, which won the two snowboarding events. So, yeah, maybe uh, the, the Dutch have got a future in snowboarding. It would be nice to uh, to see the Netherlands win in, as Robin said, uh, different sports than ice skating. Uh, I mean... Uh, I love the, the mad we, we need... biathlon with the, the, the langlau for <laughs> skiing and, yeah. and the gun, you know. I mean, that's a great one. Yeah, that's, how uh, how that's do you find out you're good at that? You know, is it, do, they <laughs> yeah. send, do, do the Swedes send twelve-year-olds out into the forest with with guns to? to see? <laughs> I haven't read anything about uh, about this in the New York Times, so I don't think this is a a tradition somewhere. Maybe we yeah. should do that in the Netherlands. Yeah, just uh, send send children out in Lapland um, <laughs> with uh, with skis and with guns and see uh, who will come back alive and then assume that that person that child is uh, is good at it. Yeah. You better um, copyright that idea, Paul, before. Uh, before, as you say, the New York Times picks up on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. you're not allowed home until you've bagged a moose with your shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I I, I suspect that that's how they uh, secretly recruit uh, the uh, the biathlon uh, Olympians in Norway because uh, they always seem to be very good at it. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out and the right to ask us a question my thanks to Paul Peters and Robin Pascoe I'm Gordon Darach uh, we won't be back next week you stop listening anyway but uh, tune <laughs> in again uh, on March the uh, 11th 11th yeah Yeah. when we'll say something about we'll have something about local elections I don't know what we, we promise will. yeah, yeah.